Here we go. One, two, Uh, we talked about it last year, the 16th of November? Uh, no, November of 2016. A 2016, which yeah. is like almost two years ago. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, we did. And uh, that's, a very good co- that's a very good point that you bring up because this has been in my mind for, for quite a while. First of all, the aspect of the music itself. Um, I've always I've always been tickled to like you know now with the the samplers have gotten really good, just to do a couple of versions of some of the my favorite cues with samplers just to see what they sound like as a as a curiosity, and then um, I got involved with a project called Cinematic Steampunk that's now with uh, A List Trailer Music, and I'm working on Cinematic Steampunk too, and a Christmas album while getting ready for this concert. And it's not just any Christmas album. It's going to have titles like The Journey of the Three Kings or The, the, the Three Kings Return or something like that. It's going to be kind of like deep and uh, um, contemplative and uh, emotional. If anyone out there is familiar with the classical music of Arvo Pert, it's very beautiful and deep and simplistic. So that's, the, that's what I'm going to do for my Christmas album. So I have to be doing that while I'm doing Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is going to be fun. Uh, switching gears every day. I have to have a schedule. Clowns, Christmas music, cinematic steampunk. And Christmas music, cinematic steampunk are completely different pieces of music too. So I, luckily I have a awesome team of people helping me out with the, the grunt work uh, to get that done. But <clears throat> the concept of doing a concert came up with, well, there's a uh, there's a colleague, he's a, an agent, his name is Richard Kraft. He started doing these uh, live concerts, and I, I just found them fascinating. And I remember a while back seeing um, <clears throat> concerts of, of, of big epic silent films <clears throat> conducted with a large orchestra. As a matter of fact, uh, Carmine Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola's father, uh, conducted several of those. One was at USC, one was at the Shrine Auditorium here in Los Angeles, and they just completely blew me away. There were scenes where the audience was standing up because the, the film had that much more impact now. After all these years, um, <clears throat> I, I, I believe it was a, um, it was a, um, a French film, and it was about the, uh, I, I forgot the title, but it was about the French Re- Revolution. And um, it was a silent film, and it completely blew me away. Then Richard Kraft kind of like had this, thing going on with you know music of Daniel Elfman as a as a um like for Christmas uh you know the night before nightmare before Christmas and for um um for Halloween he would have you know uh, concerts coming up as a tradition as kind of like an LA tradition what I thought would be wonderful to kick off um a concept that I I've had a, in the past three or four years is to have a, a live show from of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. We're coming up on the 30th year anniversary, and what better gift for all the fans that have been so loyal to this film all throughout the world than than to do a live concert, not only with an orchestra, not only with film, but with the Dickies playing uh, their iconic uh, theme song that like defines the movie. The minute the movie starts and that song comes on, you know you're in for a fun movie, right? So, uh, and the music was originally written uh, with synthesizers. However, the Kyoto Brothers are very specific. They love classic 
um, films, uh, especially classic horror films, and those had grandiose, gorgeous orchestras, but they wanted a different color. They wanted it to sound completely different. I mean, there's a, if you watch a really good print of the film, and I understand there's a 4K version coming out, the colors are immense, and the composition of the film, you know, you have a, some of the later scenes where you have groups of clowns walking through the set. Everything's kind of matched up. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of art direction and art conception going on there and so they wanted to like have something that like was representative of those stark colors and uh so we did it with synthesizers and i had a blast doing it uh, using the synthesizers of the day that were considered <clears throat> that are considered vintage now uh but it's what we had at the time and so it was a real blast to do that and going forward after we do the 30-year anniversary, you know, if I if if we do it maybe every summer somewhere in the country, we do Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It would be so much fun. Uh, the score is being designed in such a way where it can be performed by a standard size orchestra, or bigger, or smaller, so people can just read the the first part of each one. And if you let's say you have just a 25-piece band, you could still pull it off. Uh, or uh, and I also have a different version that's just going to be with keyboards and percussion, so that would also be fun too. You could do that at smaller venues, so uh, so that's that's where where we are at uh, with the uh, the May nineteenth concert. It's going to be kind of the vanguard. It's going to kind of establish things. The new the unique aspect about this concert. It's not like you walk in for the for the price of a ticket. You walk in. At six o'clock, when the doors open for two hours, you get a show. You, we are, we have everyone in the world sending us their um, uh, body art, which there are many people with really great body, killer clown body art, and maybe circus theme body art too. We'll, we're not going to close the door on everyone. Uh, there's tons of um, arts and crafts, paintings. Uh, little models, little uh, re reproductions of the characters in the film that are done by fans. So we're going to have constant slideshows of that. That's one level. The other level is we're going to have circus performers, balloon folders, magicians, stilt walkers, contortionists. I don't know if we could do fire eaters, but we'll uh, maybe sword swallowers. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, it's it might be tough to do the fire eaters indoors. Uh, but the um, the Montauban Theater is set up where it's downstairs, there's tons of room. There's a, a, um, um, a mezzanine level that fits hundreds of people that, uh, uh, you know, there would be screens all around. We hope to live stream it. There is going to be a Q&A before the concert starts. Uh, perhaps one of the band members from the Dickies will participate in that. Uh, we're going to have – we have Grant Kramer um, – uh, has uh, agreed. Grant Kramer was the lead uh, actor. He's agreed to be there. The Kyoto Brothers definitely will be there. I will be there, and we'll also have people in Killer Clown regalia, you know, uh, costumes. Uh, there's also going to be food, <laughs> so it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, you know, at, at that uh, thing. So that will be the Vanguard event, and we hope to expand this i mean initially my next my next venue would would be the hollywood forever cemetery to have this uh horror music festival at and my i want to shoot for you know I'm, of course i want to shoot first for the the hollywood bowl and uh, that would be absolutely awesome like a kind of like a playboy jazz festival except for horror music that would last you know friday night saturday night and sunday 
So, um, so that's what that's what this stands for. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I th- there there's a fan that um, has so much killer clown art. I mean, a really awesome guy and his wife. And you know, I, I, and I said to him, you know, you know, if you if you took a needle <laughs> for this film, I'll put on a concert. <laughs> that should be easy. I mean, when you think about the the legacy of the movie that's what that's the theme of the concert 30 years later the legacy continues there's here's a, a guy a big dude you know in the midwest he's got serious tags all over his body they're all killer clown themed he's going to have that all of his life he's he's probably in his 30s so for another 60 years at least he's going to have these on his body he's going to have grandkids are going to say grandpa what is that and he's going to show his grandkids, well, this is where it comes from. This is this film. So there's even a, more of a legacy. And that's what, I, what has happened. I mean, I know people that <clears throat> are my age that have grandkids. That they are fans of this movie. And their kids that are in their <clears throat> 30s um, are uh, fans of the movie. So it's like kind of like a family affair. I, I almost think it's kind of like a, a part of Americana. It's visual comfort food visual and audio comfort food there's something so absolutely bizarre about this film that has made it endure i mean because on the one hand uh, what was it who who said i don't know if i can quote a, a youtuber but decker shadow says you have one thing you have clowns that are supposed to make you happy and joyous and 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 laugh and 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 be amused and but but they're from they're aliens from outer space and they'll kill you you know you have those stark uh, 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 contrast there, and I think that's what people tune in on. And what the Kyoto Brothers has created was a, a platform that's uh, funny and funny and um, fun, yet bizarre and sometimes scary and sometimes very horrifying. So, um, so I think those those elements, and, and I'm sure there's there's so many more that like fans could um, express that uh caused it because there are people that i know that ask me how many times do you watch it and i said well outside of the times that i had to work on it probably like maybe six or seven times over the 30 years and i don't think i've seen it all the way through the last time i saw it was last summer and my daughters hadn't seen it and they were watching i think it was on hulu or something and i had just gotten um a really cool uh dan electro um shorehorn base that i was like breaking in before i had uh, had it sent to the shop for a setup you know so i'm just sitting there just playing scales and stuff and um every once in a while they go dad this is crazy you know thinking that they're okay well you don't have to watch it if you're, no, no no we'll watch it but it's just it's just crazy so it, for some reason they thought i was going to be in the movie i go no I, I there was only one movie i was in that was the wizard of speed and time that <laughs> that was the end of my acting career so anyways so uh, so it's it's really uh, and the Kyoto brothers too they it really touches their heart and uh, also Suzanne and uh, Suzanne Snyder and Grant Kramer they're just so touched and um, uh, you know they, they do know that people love this little film and we all appreciate it and we we love it that you loved it because we work really hard on it uh, it it may seem because it's so bizarre, you wonder how can someone work so hard on it to get it to this level of bizarreness. It took a great deal of uh, dedication. Uh, as far as the choice of the venue and the choice of the orchestra, how did you choose the Montalban and the uh, the Hollywood Chamber Orchestra? Is that, yes. is that who it was? Okay. 
Yes. Well, the Hollywood Chamber Orchestra. Why the of all the orchestras to my uh, avail? Why did I pick the Hollywood Chamber Orchestra? Well, let me see. Is it because like everyone there are incredible musicians? Like you know, one in a thousand, one in ten thousand of all the professional musicians in the world. That's one. Two. They play in all the all the big sessions. You know, uh, if you watch some behind the scenes of some of the big, bigger scores, big tentpole movies that are record, recorded here in L.A., you will see members of the Hollywood Chamber Orchestra in that orchestra. And not only that, they're just a great bunch of people. You know, Noah Gladstone and, and uh, Mark Roberts, uh, they're, uh, they're two among uh, a few other principals that really saw potential in this. And I didn't think it, – it's amazing when – the concept originally came up of doing a concert. It, I, I can't say what it is, but it wasn't going to be this film. It was going to be some other project. And the first, the, both of them said, you, you got to do that Killer Clowns from Outer Space. People need something interesting and bizarre and fun like that. That would be abso uh, an absolute hoot. And so uh, I looked into it, and this is like a few years ago, uh, when I finally took the step and, and, and moved toward it. So... Uh, the fact of the great musicianship they play in, they play movie music all the time they played on my soundtrack album that's coming out on the day of the concert also so um and that was an incredible experience there's going to be a video out of that at some point i don't know where when uh, Verez Saraban is releasing it and Verez Saraban made a, a behind the scenes video of the and it, I, I was just blown away cuz we had a very short session we had just a one day session and I had planned all these like rehearsal things, and we and, and I did my normal thing is I just tell people, okay, in this scene, this cue is very is terrifying, or this is really majestic, or this is like uh, the this scene is uh, think of Nazi tanks rolling through Poland, you know, and boom, they play it, and I go, okay, we've played this before, and it was just like the performance, the first performances were just so awesome, so. Um, they, uh, you know, them being a part of this concert is, is very important because most of the people who played on the soundtrack album will be playing at the concert. Is is the vinyl or is the soundtrack going to be so limited that you're going to have to be there in person, or will people be able to buy it online? Um, you know, I don't know. I think it's I. This is all I know, and it's CD and uh, download and vinyl. Now, okay. the vinyl, I, I have no idea how many units they're making of uh, the CD or vinyl. I think the vinyl definitely is less than the number of CD units, so it's going to be rather uh, rather rare. Okay. Uh, when you were putting this orchestration together, were you, the, were you just the one man doing it all, or did you have some help along the way of kind of, did you have a team putting this together with you, or were you just stressing yourself out doing this by doing this on your own? Well, it, it's always it's always good to have. Uh, you know, I, I have to ask you a technical question. Sure. Do you have your camera in the middle of your screen? Yeah. Okay. Why don't you mind if I take a second and do something like that? I have my. I, I have. I found a good use for my new Apple box. <laughs> no problem. Uh, uh, maybe that's not it. Maybe that's not the one. Maybe this is it. Because uh, we're not, You're gonna edit this later. Oh yeah. Okay. Let me see if this works. I have this box here, and I'm taking this, and I'm putting this here. This way I can look straight at you, right? 
Yep. I, look, I can look at you, and it looks like I'm looking into the camera. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. How's this look? Yeah. Okay, good. So um, <clears throat> it's amazing. I just After doing this ton of interviews, I just realized to put the damn camera where the head is. So, okay. Uh, so let's go ask your question again. Okay. Uh, were, you, were you a one-man force putting this orchestration together, or did you have a team that was helping you out? I highly recommend getting surrounding yourself with very good not competent people but people that are probably a couple of notches they have high, almost higher standards than you do and uh working with the hollywood change or chamber orchestra they all very very high standards when i walked into that recording studio everyone was there and i was there early i was there at least uh at least 40 minutes early because i didn't want to usually if you come too early and musicians are set, still setting up and warming up it, it, it kind of creeps them out sometimes, but I was able to get there early enough to tell everyone that I, you know, bought food. It, it was in the uh, it, it was in the uh, <clears throat> it was in the lounge, and, and then they then they then the studio emptied out. But they came back a few minutes later, uh, very happy because uh, you know it's always good to feed your troops. Uh, but with the with the, all the musicians came a little team of people that were three people that listen to the score as it's being recorded because someone's going to pick up something if you have three ears and eyes on a score and the sound in addition to me because sometimes i'm too um concentrating on uh, i'm too involved in concentrating on performance and making sure every I, everyone sees me he sees my cues that they're following me or you know if there's any wrong notes any big wrong notes they can hear all the little fine tuned things you'll say oh we'll you'll need to take it from this bar to this bar again uh you know it's always great um i had uh great people um orchestrating for me uh, i there was i orchestrated most of it but i i passed it on to another orchestrator a fellow named by, by the name of bernard edder in uh in germany who's a conductor, conducts orchestras, uh, conduct, can, conducts the repertory, and he orchestrates, and he composes, and he's in media music. So here's someone that has a very high level of skill uh, that he can either catch things or maybe improve something. He'll say, would you, would you like this area here? I think I know where you're going for. Can I do some things? And I go, Absolutely. You know, if you can add something to it, or he made a different recommendation, but here and there, little little bits, and so I, I would really appreciated that. Uh, the engineer um, is a was a friend of mine from, is a friend of mine from a long time. Larry Getz, he brought his crew over. Um, even though we recorded an awesome studio, the um, the bridge here in uh, Glendale, which is like on the other side of the hill from the Hollywood sign. Glendale is like right next to Los Angeles. It's like literally four miles that way. Um, and um, <clears throat> but Larry bought his own mic preamplifiers, uh, bought some of his own special mics, was there the day before, had set it up. Everything was ready to go. So literally all I had to do was waltz in and conduct. You know, I know the music and then you have all these uh, people set up. Um, also, the music preparation was done in... Um, the Czech Republic. It was brought, done in Prague. It was done by um, by um, Tadlow Music, and they have just an incredible team of people. And uh, I was amazed how how quickly and accurately they had everything done. And then I had uh, printers out here print all the parts for me. So 
all that stuff's taken care of because if I was going to do all that myself, most of those things myself, it would probably take me two years to do an album. So it's I, I would highly recommend anyone getting into any any endeavor in the media industry. You have to surround yourself with people a that you can trust, that you feel comfortable with, that you have a personal a personality relationship with, and that have really high standards that you know you can like I can learn from them. You know, uh, and I think I have pretty high standards and there are some people that, uh, you know, very much impressed me. Um, I was at um, I had a meeting with um, um, Russell Emanuel and um, talking about talking to him about some various projects. Russell Emanuel is partnered with um, is the CEO of an outfit called Extreme Music that they do. Uh, extreme music and then uh, bleeding fingers they do original music also for like they do planet earth too i think they do the simpsons and i'm not i'm not sure i think they uh, do also do american gothic and, and a number of other shows and the teams of people that they have working on their on with them are just like uh, you know i i really hope to be able to work with some of these people on on my projects so uh there's a lot of very uh uh, very good talent out here. Um, so yes, short answer is yes. I use I I get a lot of help from people because you, you you cannot do this work all by yourself. Mm-hmm. It, you just can't. So, did you uh, compose any new pieces for this orchestration? Um, well, you know it's interesting. On I I kind of have a band. No, <laughs> unofficial unofficial band called Cinematic Steampunk, and and we did a six minute version of the Killer Clowns March. So that's that's uh, that's about the new thing. And there's another piece. There was a there's a fan that was real that really liked. There's a scene where um, the, uh, the there's a guy driving on the highway, and then there's a clown driving up next to him in a invisible car. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loved that piece of music, so I did another version of it that's at least twice as long, and I had Bear McCreary play on it. Uh, Bear McCreary played um, his hurdy-gurdy, and he played his accordion, so he did a wailing accordion solo throughout the whole thing. And there's a couple of like you know Rocky and Bullwinkle-style pieces of music in that, and Bear McCreary played on that also. Okay. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Sorry. Little night dayquil out of it. <laughs> oh no, no, no problem. I can understand. Everyone's been fighting this cold. Uh, I hope, I hope it's not uh, slowing you down too much. Uh, you in, also uh, <clears throat> made me think. The you asked, is there any new music? The Dickies <clears throat> went back into the studio and recorded a new version of the Killer Clowns theme, and it's really cool because there, are, there's. I like the original a lot. There's uh, there are some elements that are in this new version that are brought out that much more uh, um, that are much more in your face, which is what I like. But it is kind of a you can tell they took a different approach. The drums are different. The style of guitar playing is different, and uh, that guitar solo is still great. Since this is happening uh, May 19th, are there going to be pre-orders for the tickets, or is it going to be at the box office only to get in? That's a, that's a good question, because if, if, if I, I don't know this uh, 100%, I can't tell you, mm-hmm. but it's like in order to 
in order to buy it physically, to be the first person to buy it and get autographs and stuff like that, you have to come to the concert. Okay. It's like one of those things. Pre-orders on Downline, it might be the night before. I don't know. Um, I just got through the mastering. Uh, I'm just finishing up math, the mastering session, which, you know, I did. Uh, by the way, I mixed the album myself. I edited and mixed it myself. Now I took it to a mastering engineer, and oh my goodness, what it just—it just sounds wonderful now because he—they put that extra little layer of sheen and polish on it, where it's just like, oh wow, that sounds incredible. So I can imagine, and we did it in such a way that the high—we uh, did it in high def audio, that the high def audio will withstand uh, downloads and to MP3 if people choose an MP3. Um, uh, option, uh, but I, I think if I'm not mistaken, I think Verisurban has a high def option too. I'm not 100% sure, but in order to get a physical copy of the vinyl or the CD, I I believe it's going to be there. They're going to have a table there at the um, at the venue. Okay, when you're up on your podium actually conducting the orchestra, is there a piece of music that that really just gets you into that moment when you're conducting? Well, that's a good. That's a very good question because what I try to do is be so familiar with the music before I go uh, in front of musicians that I I can enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's now it becomes a form of expression, and um, I must say that I have stolen the conducting styles of various conductors two of them in particular Emer Noon who does a lot of game media music I, I actually told her I you know you know I watch your videos and I'm stealing just about every one of your cool moves there's another guy who um, conducts for all the big uh, riot game uh, recordings uh, for their video games his name is Anthony Parther and he's this like imposing big huge dude figure Man, when he gives his downbeat, and I go, I, I got to do that. And I says, you don't mind. And I, and I actually called him one time. I says, listen, what are you charging for conducting lessons? And he says, well, uh, he told me this, that, and the other thing. Oh, oh, great. Okay. Are you free next Tuesday? Okay. Well, who's going to be, uh, who's the student? I go, well, it's going to be me. And they go, and they go, you don't need to be, you know, he says, you don't need uh, lessons. And I said, well, yeah, it's because I've been stealing your style, but I, I need to get it directly from you. And he says, oh, and then we worked out something. But um, but because uh, he thought I was going to recommend some kid out of college or something <laughs> like that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, but yeah, I li- is there a particular piece of music? Well, it, are you, if you're talking about the Killer Cops Matter Space score, yeah. it's a very... Is a very unassuming piece of music. It's called, uh, it's the it's like the first two minutes of the Fun House, and it's a very uh, kind of like a, a like meditative, spooky piece of music, and uh, it's the, the 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 intervals that are in there. It's kind of like you know, music can be melody uh, or accompaniment. You know, it's like scales or whole. You know. And sometimes you have a combination. It's accompaniment and melody at the same time. Kind of like the Moonlight Sonata. Mm-hmm. Moonlight Sonata is a melody, but yet at the same time it's an accompaniment melody. Right? It's more of an accompaniment. The accompaniment is just as much as the melody is, uh, as the melody is. So that music comes from me tinkering around when I was like six or seven after I had seen my first triple feature 
of of um, they were science fiction movies and adventure science fiction adventure movies, and I was completely blown away. And I I wasn't playing the piano. I wanted to play the guitar. As a matter of fact, I got I got um, uh, <clears throat> a ruler, and I would as a little kid I would string rubber bands, and I would sit there and do this right. But I mean, of course, as a kid, it was like that big, right? The ruler was big, and I wanted to play guitar so bad. And my mom, she got a, a piano to learn how to play piano, and then I couldn't—you couldn't tear me away from it. I was tinkering on it all the time. So these uh, note, these like intervals, like notes, um, are, are from that time. And I, I like jotted when I learned how to write music, I jotted them down and saved them. And I said, you know, what? I'm going to use that for this scene, and it's the scene where the. Uh, the characters, the main characters, come into the fun house, and they said, "Well, maybe these are, you know." They start trying to figure out why, are, why clowns? Why would they be clowns? I mean, maybe our idea of maybe ancient astronauts came to Earth years ago, and our idea of clowns came from them, you know. So it was like this, like a little bit of wondrous, mysterious thing. So when I conducted that at the recording session, it was kind of a moving experience to me. All of a sudden, it hit me, you know, and I closed my eyes and I was I conducted it freehand. You know, without a click or anything like that, and it's like my eyes were closed and they were following me. So that was that was a really wonderful experience. The the endorphin levels came up definitely at that time. When you're trying to get a child into music or into learning a instrument, what is the best way to go about that? This is more of a personal question for me for my daughter. Oh sure, but sure. I figured I'd ask it since I since I have a chance to talk to you. <laughs> well, you, you know, I, m- music is an experience. And it's sometimes it's a personal experience, and just to tell someone, "All right, you're going to get piano lessons," it becomes a it becomes a punishment, mm-hmm. you know. And I I know friends that they said, "Oh man, when uh, my parents said I was going to get piano lessons or trumpet lessons or clarinet lessons or whatever, they were thrilled. Oh my gosh, I love that instrument. I want to play the harp. I want to play the piano. I want to play the bass or the guitar." They want, and it was a love, wonderful experience. With me, I discovered it through, through film music. I discovered that I had a love of music. Um, <clears throat> but uh, to encourage a child, they have to. It's almost like you have to have a calling. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's like. So if you expose them to enough music, for instance, I've been exposed to music you would never think would affect me. I, I there's a place, uh, there's Disneyland here in Southern California. There's also Knott's Berry Farm. Right, Knott's Berry Farm was like a recreation of an old Western town, right? And they, and, and uh, they had a theater. It was called the um, I don't know. It was like the 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 the, um, the covered wagon theater, where they had all these covered wagons in a semicircle, and they had this outdoor theater that they would uh, have concerts. And I saw Chet Atkins. I don't know if you know who that is. Chet Atkins, Buck Owens, a lot of re- top name. You know, Buck Owens, he, that, that was the, he had created what's called the Bakersfield sound, which is like the combination of Western music and a Mexican folk music, which is very interesting sound. And I, I was like right there in like to three arms length away from musicians, world-class musicians. They were country, they were, they were country Western musicians, uh, but uh, musicians nonetheless, excuse me, musicians nonetheless that are able to, uh, express themselves within their own genre in in such an expert expressive way. So that was another that's another reason why I wanted to play guitar. I saw Chet Atkins playing. I go, I, I want to do that. 
I never learned to play guitar. I did learn to play the bass. But I never really picked up a guitar. I do pick up a guitar and, and get like effect sounds out of it, but I, I wouldn't definitely I wouldn't join a band. <laughs> play guitar but yeah i think it has to be it has to be more or less a calling Mm -hmm. you know if something uh like maybe take them to concerts but don't be surprised if they might get bored to death i mean my daughter is so much into dance and so much into ballet it took her a while to be interested in going to a ballet because the first time i took her to a ballet no the first time she went to a professional ballet she was a little intimidated it was a little too much for her and so uh but that doesn't mean she uh, didn't uh, still have a love for it, but I would say I would say that expose them to music, expose them to music that you like. See well, what I mean? Well, it's funny because um, she listens to a lot of things that I play in the car. So, like uh-huh. postmodern jukebox, a lot of cool. those songs she loves mm-hmm. the bar the the surfer version of Barbie Girl. Uh, uh-huh. She likes a lot of uh, Puddles Pity Party uh, covers. Oh, great! Uh-huh. And then. This past week, I was watching uh, Twisted Sisters' We're Not Gonna Take It music video, and uh-huh. she came into our bedroom and started watching it, and she started going along with it, and she said, can I watch that again? And I was like, yes, because there's really nothing that bad in it. I'll yes, let you yeah. watch it. And then yeah. that's all, all of a sudden, now it's now it's metal. Right. But yeah. her, her taste in music varies so much because my own selection is your music, mm-hmm. a lot of soundtrack music. Um, right just very eclectic stuff and i think she likes music more than anything else so that's why i wanted to try to see if that's something she would pursue or if she'd be like me and just be an enjoyer of music but not have the talent to actually play an instrument right well i can tell you that uh it's a little bit of a journey because i I know uh kids who have like started on the flute for some reason because they uh, they kind of want to take band they didn't know what instrument to take like when i went to band class the only reason why i took in junior high the only reason why i played the trumpet is because our um uh the music uh, the um band instructor for our junior high was uh you know uh, was in the marine was a, a marine drill instructor and was in the marine band and he played trumpet and it sounded awesome and i wanted to get a sound like him um so some kids pick an instrument could be anything you know, let's say they pick the, the flute or the clarinet or the bassoon. I have a friend who learned how to play the bassoon only because there was no bassoonist in his junior high school orchestra. And the only reason why he played bassoon because they were always going on field trips. You know, he was in Virginia. They would go to, you know, to the Kennedy Center. They would go, you know, up in New York. They would go to uh, place, place, places in D.C. They would go to all. The, and he goes, well, I want to I want to. I want to get out of school and travel too. So he he's like one of the first call bassoonists in in L.A. now, and he's a con- conductor. He's that's Anthony Parther. That's how he came to music, and he started at eleven. You know, eleven years old. So <clears throat> the uh, and and I know kids from experience. Like just recently, there's a, a friend of my daughter. She played flute, and then she went to the guitar, and then I heard her sing. Oh my gosh, she has a. a this wonderful soulful voice so it's like a journey it's like something that they kind of like have to it's a discovery they have Mm -hmm. to discover on their own you know so i i don't know i would say uh you know take her to a music store and let her walk around and see if see if something gets her attention and then little by little she'll discover something Mm -hmm. you know um 
So that's that's the best advice I can give you. you I, s- I started out with a trumpet myself in fourth grade. I just didn't. Oh, really? Not, I didn't last that long in band. Just... Oh, it took it took me years to get a good sound. Oh yeah. I mean, I was I must have been driving everyone crazy. I had to I had to practice when everyone was gone, and I had to do it in a closet because you had to develop this embouchure. This embouchure. This is an instrument, you know, kind of like a a reed for a clarinet, and um, it was hideous. It was you know, painful. Even for, yeah, it was painful. So I'd say my sound came in when I was uh, okay. I started playing when I was twelve, and I think it really came in when I was sixteen. Mm-hmm. And that's like practicing all the time, you know. Yeah, I just I just didn't have the patience for it. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, off the topic of killer clowns, the mm-hmm. the VR Jesus uh, right uh, project you worked on. Where is that right now? Is that still well, that's, development? That's so that's so interesting because I'm about to have a, um, a daddy daughter night mm-hmm. with uh, the producer, and uh, apparently it is so secret. I don't know what they're doing with it. Uh, last I heard, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I never knew of a, a particular date, like a confirmed hard date that it was being released, but it's being released to. Um, it's coming out. It's supposed to come out in phases, and then be available to the the uh, the general public. So that's all I can tell you. You know, I I uh, I had just approved. I sat down with them in the office and approved the final mix, and I was I, I actually got to tell you I was very surprised because for for a year I've been looking at it in two D, and basically if you imagine you have a picture that's around you, now you wrap it. And you, it like a, what is it called, a Mercator map? When you take the Earth and you make a flat map out of it, things are like yeah, out, it's, out, it's like, like a squished orange, yeah. Yeah, it's a squished orange, right? So that's <clears> what it looked. And then I finally sat down and looked at. It. He says, "You you have to sit down in a swivel chair." I go, "Oh, why? Just trust me. Otherwise, you're going to get seasick." And really, so I sat down in a sh- swivel chair, and and I guess it was very moving and very dramatic because there was there's the scene where um john the baptist is calling out uh, christ comes to john the baptist to get baptized and literally i'm like they're right there i'm kind of like floating above them and i can see them and it's uncanny the realism and it's basically kind of like a cell phone that's you know in front of you and but between the sound and looking at it because you can turn around like this your per- your perception of cha- sound will change at any and when you turn, not when the subject turns. Mm-hmm. So the m- movie is uh, so it was it, it was very uh, very moving. I was just, it was like so realistic. You you get a you get a feeling that like oh I put my arm up I don't see it and you look below you and you see water. You know you don't see like a there are no what do you call it um, skyboxes like, or yeah there's no um, <clears throat> Uh, like where they mush the image together. It's mm-hmm. like all everywhere you look. And if you look behind you, like really, that's what I found myself doing every once in a while, looking way behind. If the subject was going around here, I would look way back and probably like a hundred yards out, there's someone with a donkey and a little cart pulling like olive branches or something like that. You know, or like they had come back from um, uh, from what little vineyard or or, or, or a farm and they're moving stuff, and they're in the right clothes, and they got the right attitude. So, like, it really puts you 
in the time in the time frame. And when people whisper, you can hear them. Like if you're like you're right there, you know. I, I was very very impressed. So I'm you know obviously when it does come out, I'll, I'll, and I'm able to say something about it, I will. But I, all, that's about all I can say is that it had an initial <coughs> initial release at um, the Venice Film Festival, and I don't think people got it. I don't people I don't think people understood. Uh, what it was about because there were only snippet scenes mm-hmm. and some for some reason people I, maybe they thought that was the whole movie but it was kind of like a representation of so that's where that is I, I wish I had something to tell you that, that's that's a, the nature of the media business is there are some things that you know people put sinking enough time and money into something the release of when it comes out and how it comes out is like s- just as important as the idea mm-hmm. so uh, another thing you probably can't talk about, but when I first talked to you, you were at Disney working on something, but you couldn't right. tell me what it was two years ago. Can you tell me what it was now? No, because that's still being worked on. <laughs> and I don't even know where they are with it, you know. I make a call back, okay, we're back online to, to finish this thing, this thing. And uh, But there are other Disney things that I, I have that have been out, obviously, that uh, really doesn't make any sense to talk about. Um, the uh, <clears throat> there is, Although, you know what? I, ha- I did find, I don't have it with me. Do I have it with me? No, I don't. Uh, I do have a vinyl. Of, I did a vinyl test print of a certain soundtrack album uh, that I did a long time ago <laughs> called The called the wizard of speed and time <laughs> never and heard I did, of it don't know anything never, about it don't have it hanging okay. right right yeah, behind me <laughs> yeah exactly well i've got a uh i've got a uh a vinyl of it uh that i had print and i finally found i put it like in storage so i don't know what i'm going to do with that yet uh, but that's the lacquer whatever you do you can play it on a record player but whatever it's made out of it's what you use to make um other uh, it's where you use to print copies with. Mm-hmm. So I forgot what that's called. I think it's called a lacquer, lacquer master or a print master or something like that. I go, I don't know. Um, I wish I had it here. It's, it's somewhere in a safe place. So uh, I was amazed that it was like I opened it up and it looked like the day that I got it because I basically did it just to cover my ass and stuck it in there and just put it away. And I thought I lost it and I didn't lose it. Thank goodness. But there's only one. <laughs> would it would it be worth it to get that produced as a limited run like on a, on a green vinyl and yeah i think it would be yeah like uh, i think it would be um i just don't know when i would do it i mean right now i just want to I, I have to have someone play it on a system that they can just check and see if it's okay because i haven't heard it since the uh, I, I understand and <clears throat> i don't know if it has to be redone and then i'd have to find the master tape that I made for, because, you know, CD has 70 minutes of music and a, a vinyl can only have 22 minutes aside. Mm-hmm. So um, I have to check and see if it's within spec because I, I, I don't, you know, I, I had it done by a guy that uh, kind of like just did it. This is when, when I had it done, it's when vinyl was going out. And so his stuff, I don't know if his stuff was calibrated properly because I understand if the bass response is too much, on a, um, if the the bass response isn't uh, adjusted properly uh, for vinyl, it can literally pop the, the needle up, mm-hmm. and um, li- literally it'll come, it'll dance, start dancing up because it's just too. 
there's something about that low frequency that's too too big at that speed. I don't quite understand it. This is what I've been told by uh, people who press, um, people who cut vinyl and press it and <clears throat> master. So, um, so I have to have it checked mm-hmm. before I can even think of doing something like that. I I definitely buy one. <laughs> okay, okay. It'll be something very simple if I do it. You yeah. know, it'll be like a green album with a green sleeve, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll manage to maybe the uh, liner notes will be inside. I'll just print a piece of paper and stick it inside, so everything's everything's nice and uh, nice and um, simple. Yeah, I remember that initial excitement when I saw that the soundtrack was available for the first mm-hmm. time, and then I think I. I was, it was like at that very early age of the internet, I think it was like 99 or 98 when it came out, and I, I think I hounded you a couple times because I wanted to know where my copy was. Uh-huh, <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I had put the word out, and I said I'm in the, I'm in the process of making it, and I'm, I'm taking uh, advanced orders, and when I realized it was taking too much time, I just sent everyone's, I didn't cash anyone's check, I just sent it out back. You know, I figured I'll just wait till it officially comes out, and luckily those same people came back. Mm-hmm. They said, "Okay, I'm ready now." I go because I have it right now. Because there was there were some things that were hard to track down, and um, I'm surprised that uh, Mike Jetlove himself, because I gave him a CD, he could he, he could easily burn CDs and sign them uh, and and uh, make them available to fans. But he just never he never uh, never went down that road. But uh, I tried to, I tried to talk to Mike last year, and he just he didn't seem very interested in doing an interview. So. Oh, that's interesting because usually he likes – he's got a lot to say. Yeah. Well, it's basically – you know, the story hasn't changed, mm-hmm. you know. But um, <clears throat> but maybe that's why. Maybe it's – maybe you know what? Maybe it's a good thing for him that, you know, he's moving on to yeah. other things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see. I don't think I have any other questions, but I'm sure there's there's some more information about the, the concert that you'd like to tell everyone so everyone's all up to speed. Well, it's here in Los Angeles, California, in the community of Hollywood, because Hollywood is like a part of Los Angeles. And it's actually practically at the corner of Hollywood and Vine. Couldn't be more Hollywood than that. Uh, It'll be May 19th, which is a Saturday. And that weekend is the weekend that the original movie came out. So that's uh, that's another reason why I was going to have it in October of last year, but I said, you know what, it me- makes more sense to have it, that, and we can plan for a lot of really cool things. So uh, it's going to be there. We're, we're, it's going to basically be a circus as we go in. What I'm really looking forward to is selling it out so we can potentially have a, a matinee on Sunday and a second show on Sunday. That would be really awesome. That's we're. we're that's what we're kind of uh, kind of planning for because, again, we, we're looking for like a circus event where everyone's going to have a ton of fun. That they're going to be able to say, I was there <laughs> for the premiere of my favorite movie, you know. And, and I, there are people that are coming from up north. There's uh, already – I've seen online people uh, – I think it's on the Dickies page. People have pictures of their tickets and they're from um, St. Louis, so uh, they're coming from all over the place, and I get people that are saying, "Okay, can uh, I'm looking into? Can I buy the tickets now?" And because I'm, I'm looking, does it come with a package deal with with airline tickets? I go, "No, we don't. We, we, 
you're going to have to go on orbits or something like that. So, uh, and obviously there's people around here that are coming, uh, coming in, but we're, we're looking for, um, we're, we're really looking forward to putting this on and making this, uh, a new, uh, um, horror sci-fi genre tradition.